We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll be looking at the heart of the gospel ministry. Let's look, chapter one or chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles him in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with thankful hearts, thankful for what you are doing in our midst, thankful for our, the church that you have established, thankful for your word, thankful for your Holy Spirit that lives and abides within our soul. Thankful that you are the one who gives us strength. Lord, we turn to you now and we ask you to show us Christ. Show us your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to glean the glories of the gospel. To apply them to our hearts and our minds and our lives. And help us, Lord, to go from this place changed by your word empowered by your Spirit, and boldly proclaiming the glory of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We pray now, help us to understand it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, this is such an awe-provoking passage that I can't wait to just dive in. Last night I enjoyed the Lord, worshipped Him, and thankful for what I get to give you this morning. Today I hope to give you a glimpse of the glory of God that I got when studying this passage, and as I studied this week. And we're going to examine today what the heart of a gospel ministry looks like. What is the goal, the aim, the, the whole point of a gospel-focused ministry. Reviewing from last time, we saw Paul encourage Timothy through exhortations. He gave him imperatives uh, related to Timothy's ministry. He called Timothy to use his God-given gifts by the work of God in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. Then second, he, unashamed, he called him to unashamedly sacrifice for the gospel by the work of God in him in verses 8 to 12. So reviewing, these are these commands that were just laid out in, in chapter 1. And then finally, he told him in verses 13 to 14, hold firm to the truth by the work of God in him. Paul directed Timothy... Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard in me. And Paul developed this with guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Then Paul closed this previous section with two illustrations. First, a pair of men who were a negative example of holding firm to the truth. They didn't do it in verse 15. And then the positive example. Onesiphorus, in verses 16 to 18, who had held firm to the truth by the Holy Spirit and had stayed and visited and was unashamed to visit Paul when he was in prison and help him. So Paul lifts up these two examples. Don't do this, but do this. Be like these, this guy, not those guys. And Onesiphorus was the one they should follow, Timothy should follow. Paul gives a summary of this description of a heart of ministry today. We'll see how to have a Christ-exalting, God-glorifying personal ministry for the Lord. This whole letter, though, is really 
a letter filled with imperatives, commands. In fact, throughout the whole book, the whole letter, there are 33 direct commands in 83 verses. That means one-third of the verses, more than one-third of the verses in the letter have an imperative. Do this. Does that burden us? No, it actually frees us. Gives us opportunity to serve and love our Lord and obey Him. This is one big letter telling Timothy what to do. How many of you like to be told what to do? Well, it depends on the attitude of my heart, correct? If I'm enjoying the Lord and delighting in Him to be told what He wants me to do, I say, yes, Lord, send me. But if I'm delighting in myself and selfishness and flesh, telling, being told what to do usually bucks against what I want to do. But most of the commands here should be considered a privilege. <laughs> a privilege to do and how ministry should look in this world. So as we make our way through this letter, we're going to get a glimpse uh, into how we should minister to the people around us in our jobs in our families, in our church, and in our community. How to minister to people, and what our church should look like, and what our individual ministries should look like. So as we continue today, I I pray that you are edified, and that you are encouraged, and you take serious these commands that were given to Timothy, but apply directly to us. They apply. We can jump on board and obey them too. So today we'll look at four more imperatives to embrace for us to have a God-glorifying ministry. First, we'll see, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In verse 1, entrust the gospel to faithful men. In verse 2, suffer hardship with me. Verse 3 and 4, consider what I say. Verse 7. So let's walk down through these. Let's start in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, that's exactly what he says. Boy, that was a hard point to pull out and put into your preaching outline, right? Well, it says it, so let's go with it. Verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's there, isn't it? This is an interesting command. It really does pick up on the points we made last week from the previous passage. God requires us to do something, but He also gives us the ability to do it. That's important to remember. This is, and you'll love this for all of you Greek scholars out there, this is a present passive command. Mm -mm. Everybody together? Present passive command. What is that? Well, let me explain. Be strong, literally could be translated, be continually strengthened from an outside source. Be strengthened from an outside source. Wait a second. How do you do that? Be strengthened from an outside source. How does someone get strong or make themselves strong by something that's outside them? Think about this for a second. If you're weightlifting and you want to be strong, you want to get strong, what do you do? You weightlift. You eat right. You take care of your bodies. You discipline yourself. You do what's necessary for you to what? Be strong, right? You're in control. You're the one that does it. You're the one that makes it happen. And after all, it is a command. So shouldn't it be an active sense, not a passive sense? Be strong. Make yourself strong. Go get busy. Do what's necessary to make yourself strong. That's not what he's saying. He's saying be strong. Be strengthened from an outside source. Get strength from somewhere else. Where do I go? Well, it's implied that it's coming. It's there. And it's coming from God. This command is very much like the command in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. You've heard it before. Be filled with the Spirit, right? 
Be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Have the Spirit control your life. This means, in Ephesians 5.18, allow yourself to be controlled by the Spirit. Willfully submit yourself to His will and His powerful existence in your life that was developed throughout the letter to the Ephesians. Here, it's the same idea. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here, it's allow yourself to be strengthened by the unmerited favor of God that is in abundance in the sphere of Christ's reign. Okay, let me unpack that. Let me explain what that means. In the realm of Jesus' rule, if you are abiding in Christ, if you are Him, you are in Him, you're in the vine. He is the vine and we are the branches. And as we abide in Christ, He gives us grace, unmerited favor. He works within our soul and He strengthens us to go and do what He would want us to do. We are strengthened to do the things that are absolutely impossible to the rest of the world. What God asks us in all these imperatives throughout this passage and all other passages in the Bible, if you really dig down deep, all the commands that are given in Scripture are absolutely impossible for humans to do. They're impossible. Suffer with me. Suffer hardship with me. With a proper attitude. That's impossible. So where does it come from? Where does the strength come from to accomplish this? It doesn't come from you. It comes from an outside source, Timothy. He will strengthen you. His unmerited favor is abundantly flowing to us who believe in Christ Jesus. So allow God to permeate your life with His grace and strengthen you to go out and do what you're supposed to do to glorify God and honor Him. These are wonderful passages in Scripture. Why are they so wonderful? Because they say... It's not about how strong I am. They're about the infinite strength that comes from God Almighty. The same God that resurrected His Son from the grave. That power, that glory, that grace is available to all who believe in Him. And that is good news, isn't it? Allow His strength to flow through you, Timothy. Because His abundant grace is in Christ Jesus. This is great news. In Christ, His grace, His unmerited favor, empowers us, strengthens us, emboldens us, encourages us, galvanizes us, energizes us, makes us powerful even though we're weak. What's he calling him to do? Cooperate with the grace that God is pouring out in you. Enjoy God, and he will work through you. So Paul starts here with be strong in the overflowing grace that is in Christ Jesus. Next we see, entrust the gospel to faithful men. Entrust the gospel to faithful men. Look at verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This phrase, the things which you have heard from me, was used previously, wasn't it? It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. He said it before. A similar phrase, the things which you have heard from me. It further describes, it's further described in that verse, in 13, 13, as the standard of sound words. The example of sound words that Paul has been speaking and has spoken in Timothy's listening and his hearing. Ultimately, this is the gospel message, right? 
the things which you have heard from me. What are those things? The gospel message. Timothy had heard it numerous times from Paul. Paul had preached Christ consistently. Paul had shared Christ consistently. Paul had argued for Christ. Paul had proclaimed Christ. He had wrote about Christ. He lived Christ continuously. And Timothy knew exactly what he had heard from Paul in the presence of many witnesses. It was the gospel message. The message Paul rehearsed in verse 9 to 10 Look at it again in verse 9 and 10. We talked about this verse, so these two verses. This is the gospel. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Son, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what he'd heard? He was hearing it again, and that's what he was supposed to entrust to other men. Matter of fact, Paul's going to talk about it and rehearse it again in verse 8. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David according to my gospel. Again, talking about Christ. It's not complicated, it's not hard, it's the same message. You hear it over and over, you've heard it from me before, I've told it in many witnesses. Now, give that message to others. Share it with others. Friends, this is a beautiful picture of the gospel ministry. You ask what we're trying to accomplish here at Grace Bible Church of Tampa. It's not to have a huge building It's not to have 50,000 programs. It's to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not complicated. It's know the word, proclaim the word, entrust it to other people that are able to share the word, and then what? Repeat. Do it again. You say, well, Mike, that's kind of boring. No, it isn't. It's glorious truth. The gospel is good and enjoyable, and I delight on it every week. How about you? God entrusted Paul with this message of the gospel. God gave Paul this amazing deposit. And the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ was all about Paul. Paul was all about the gospel. He loved what he had been given in the gospel. Then Paul took that message and entrusted that message to Timothy and others. Now Paul is saying and exhorting Timothy and imploring Timothy, entrust that message to faithful men. So it goes on, continues going. Friends, this is what we do. We teach the message of Christ to others who are committed to Him so that those same ones we taught the gospel message to will then teach the message to others. It's simple. Now notice Timothy is told to look for faithful men. Faithful men. Entrust this to faithful men. This means... Now we can, we can slice this and dice this all you want, but what does it mean... To entrust it to faithful men. What does it mean? Friends, I'm not telling you this to bring guilt. Hear me closely. We as the elders, though, want to encourage you. Please help us make it hard to help all of you. Did you hear that? I'll say it again. Please make it hard for us to help all of you. Because you're all what? Faithful. Yeah. (laughs) Did you get that? Like, how do I do this? I have too many faithful men. I've got to share this all the time. Please help us. We are in this together, beloved. By the grace of God, we can all be what? Faithful. We can, by the grace of God, not in our own power, not in our own strength, not because we're something special, but by dependence upon the Lord who strengthens us, we can be faithful. 
you understand that in Scripture it shows a, a repeated uh, pattern where men of God are often distracted from sharing the truth from those that really want to know it and serve and honor God by the things of the world and by the people that don't really care about the world. You know, even as Mark is going through his passage of, about in, in Ezra and how they're trying to build the walls and they're trying to build this, rebuild the city and all these things, there's always these distractions keeping them from accomplishing that task. Trying to get the people off focus. And it's those unfaithful people that constantly distract and keep us from doing what we're supposed to be doing. Which is what God says to do. Which in this case would be to what? Entrust to faithful men what you've heard. The gospel. We want to spend our time. All of us in this church would want, should want to spend our time studying the word. Teaching the word. Teaching how to study the word. And then teaching how to teach the word. That's what we want to do because this is what it seems that Paul wants us to focus on. Wants Timothy to and therefore by application wants us to do. Right? And we all need to have this goal. All of us in the room. All of us in this church. We all need to be committed to that same goal. Right? We want the word to go out. We want faithful men to be taught the word, the gospel, and then to be able to teach it and share it with others. Don't we want that? All of you want that, right? So that's what we all need to work to have happen. We all need to work at that primary goal. I'm not saying that this verse is the only part of ministry. Because it's not. I admit that. There are other aspects of ministry. But I could make an argument from, first, uh, from Second Timothy that what you do with the Word of God is pro- the primary ministry. That is it. He repeats it in every single... What we do with the gospel and what we do with the Word of God is the primary point of this whole letter, you could argue. So please, beloved, let's all covenant by the grace of God to do this. To agree... To promote the teaching of the Word of God. We want this message of Jesus Christ to spread all over the city, don't we? You know, I was reminded as I watched MacArthur's interview this week with uh, Ben Shapiro. I was so encouraged. I was encouraged he gave the gospel to the man, primarily. And, and, and second, I, I was encouraged by his, his focus. Look... I'm a preacher of the gospel. That's what I do. I'm not primarily about getting into political debates. And the sad thing is, is as soon as he says one little thing about politics, that's the very thing he gets picked on about. The reality is, is I can fall into that same trap. I want to stay focused. Help me, beloved, stay focused. And help the elders stay focused. We want to know this, don't you? You don't come for me to tell you how to vote, right? If you came to hear how to vote, you came to the wrong place. I'm going to teach you about the Bible. I'm going to teach you what it says. I'm going to tell you how to honor Christ with the Word. Let's stay focused. And then we're going to teach other faithful men how to do the same thing. And you're at times going to say, man, you sound like a broken record. And we're going to say, yeah, read 2 Timothy. Because <laughs> he keeps saying it over and over and over and over again. He's facing persecution under the hands of Nero. If there was anybody that could break out into a, this ain't fair, let's get into some politics, it would be Paul at this moment, Right? That's not what we're about. We're about what the next verse says. And then applying that, we want people saved. We want people to know Christ. And no, that doesn't mean that we never love our neighbor. And no, that does not mean that 
we never feed somebody or help somebody. No, that's not what we're saying. That's not what I'm saying. But this is the focus. And this is where we have to stay. By the grace of God, we will stay here, whether this is a full church or an empty church. Because we have to be there. I have to be there. I'm going to stand before the Lord. The elders are going to stand before the Lord. The deacons are going to stand before the Lord. And you are going to stand before the Lord in your households with whether you hold firm to the truth. Like Onesiphorus or those that abandon. So Paul exhorted Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then entrust the gospel to faithful men who can teach others the gospel. 30 says, suffer hardship with me. Suffer hardship with me. It's at the beginning of the next verse, verse 3. The beginning of verse 3, it says, suffer hardship with me. Very easy outline this week, you notice. It comes right from the text. The commands are there. This is the next command. I'm thankful for these kind of passages. As Paul has made it clear, he is suffering in prison for the gospel. Look again at verse 8 of chapter 1. Verse 8 of chapter 1. Paul explaining, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Now Paul exhorts Timothy to suffer hardship with him. And in light of what he said, that means be willing to... Maybe even go to prison like me for the gospel's sake. Now, back to our verse in verse 3, chapter 2. Suffer hardship with me. Does this mean Timothy is supposed to go looking for trouble and trials and suffering? Can I pick a fight somewhere? Is that what he's saying? Hey, I just need to go headlong into it no matter what, so I'll suffer a little bit. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. I think it was obvious for Timothy and for Paul, Paul knew it, suffering was coming. It was inevitable. It was just going to happen. So he was saying, get ready and embrace it. Embrace what God has given you. He was saying, in effect, be strong and courageous. Embrace God's will for your life. This includes the suffering that's coming. Paul was saying, he says it a little later in the letter. He says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Does all mean all here? (laughs) Yes, all means all here. Does it mean all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Yep, it means all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Persecution will come. If you desire to live a God-honoring, God-glorifying life in Christ, in the realm of Christ's reign, where the grace is abundant, You will be persecuted. Listen, beloved, we don't have to look for opportunities to suffer hardship. They're coming for us. If we desire to love and honor God, it's coming. You say, well, Mike, I don't suffer that much persecution. Well, prepare. Because this is a promise, and I believe that it is a promise for all. We are going to suffer persecution if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Does this mean that sometimes we don't suffer persecution because we don't all desire to live godly? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sadly. If we choose to live the way of the world, the world's going to think we're just fine, right? They're going to love us. If everybody loves you, then you have to ask the question, maybe it's because I look like them. That it makes sense, doesn't it? But if we stand firm for the truth 
and we say, this is what God's word says. And I can't compromise to the left or the right. I'm staying resolved. I'm staying focused. Christ is Lord. I'm going to live for him. Guess what? You're going to get persecuted. It's going to happen. So suffer hardship with me is what Paul says. The believer's responsibility is to persevere through it. But how? How am I going to do this? Answer, with the strength that God provides in the grace which is provided in Christ Jesus. It all fits together perfect, doesn't it? Friends, difficulties are coming. If they aren't already here for you, they will come. We have a choice. We can grumble and complain and buck against it, or we can humbly abide under it by the grace of God, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as Scripture says. We need Christ, don't we, beloved? And good news, He's here. So let's rest in Him and serve Him even in suffering. That doesn't mean go preach this verse to someone who's suffering, by the way. Listen to me closely. If you're not going through any hardship at all, for you to then turn around and quote, the, quote Paul and say, suffer hardship with me, is pretty hypocritical, isn't it? If you never find yourself suffering at all for the gospel's sake, and you turn around and slam this verse on somebody that's suffering, yowzer. You are basically putting yourself up and putting them down and saying you're better than them. You do it, even though I don't have to walk through it. Be careful, beloved. All of us. Paul could say it, couldn't he? Suffer hardship with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the one that's in prison. The one that is suffering, really suffering. Oh, friends, get this. Understand. We must humbly seek the Lord, seek to honor Him and glorify Him. And as we do, hardship's coming. Paul wasn't speaking as if he was a clueless third party. He was all in it. Now Paul begins to illustrate his point with these three examples. They're beautiful little examples from the world. These are meant to bring clarity to his exhortations concerning ministry. Kind of give light to it. Help it to understand. I think his point illustrates the wider picture of ministry, the ministry of the gospel. It kind of tells us what ministry to the gospel is all about. And these three are used to help him bring light to that. He's telling Timothy, this is what a minister of the gospel looks like. He's strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He entrusts the gospel to faithful men. He suffers hardship with Paul as persecution comes. And then he compares that ministry of the gospel to three different figures. First, it's a soldier. Second, it's an athlete. And third, it's a farmer. Very clear from the text. Y'all see it? Not complicated? I bet y'all could have got this on your own Bible study time. What do you think? You could have probably, oh, I got that. I got that. And here's the third point. Circle, make observations. You could have got this. It's great stuff, right? You can do it. It's important. When we get to these kind of illustrations, though, beloved, to listen closely, to be careful not to read too much into the illustration. When Paul's using it, he says these three illustrations, these three men, we can be, you would be amazed at how far you can go off on a good soldier and what that means. And you can take all the scriptures from all over the Bible and try to make a good soldier. You know, Ephesians 6 fits real well. Let's bring that over here too and do that, right? I think we need to be careful and allow the passage to say what it says and illustrate what he wants it to illustrate in the context of what he's talking about. 
So let's look at it. By the way, it's interesting to me that Paul appears to say there's a guide to understanding what he means in the illustrations. Now, listen closely. Some of y'all are, what? Listen closely. There's a guide that helps you understand what the illustrations are meaning, what he's, how he's applying these illustrations. There's a guide. Where's the guide? Where's the passage say there's a guide? Do you see it in there? It's actually in verse 7, the next command. Look at it. The next command says what? We'll come back to the three illustrations in a second. Consider what I say. Consider what I say. But then it says, consider what I say because for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Whoa. That's profound. That verse right there is very encouraging for the Bible student. Listen closely. There are tons of implications here for even us. This means Timothy was told to think on what Paul had said. What he had just said about those three illustrations about ministry and how that all fits. Think on it. Meditate on it. Think on these things. It also means that as you consider it, as you meditate on it, the Lord himself would give Timothy understanding concerning what Paul was saying to Timothy. That's good news, isn't it? God, literally, the Lord literally illumines the heart and mind of Timothy as he studies and considers these truths that Paul has laid out. Again, last week, Paul tells Timothy to go and serve, hold tight. But he also tells Timothy where to look for the power, the strength, the love, and the wisdom to do the commands, right? Well, here he does the same thing. He tells him how he should live as compared to this. And he says, now consider what I've talked about. Think about what I've said. For the Lord is what? Going to give you the understanding to the truth. There's an interpreter who is perfect. You know who gets God's word perfect every time? Ready? God. God gets it perfect every single time. Isn't that good news? He has never missed a passage. Well, after all, he did write it. He knows his intent perfectly, doesn't he? So who do we need to help us to understand? God. That makes sense, doesn't it? Now, are there any questions? Are there any in your mind right now? Some of you maybe are sitting there going, wait a second. All believers are in Christ Jesus and all believers have the Holy Spirit and all the believers have the Lord to help them understand. Why do we have pedo-baptists and credo-baptists then? Or, no. Yeah, yeah, pedo and credo Baptists. Why do we have these differences? Why do we have these things? Why are these all these divisions? Why are there amillennialists? I don't know. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. I have no idea. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That was just a joke. Why isn't everybody a pre-mill? Why not? Okay, listen to me closely. You know, it's sad how when you're reading the Bible and you're studying the Bible, you feel like you got to always give those caveats because if you don't give the caveats, what happens? It's taken and run with and everybody, you get 50,000 questions afterwards. What? What about this? What about that? Got to do it, beloved. Got to do it. Listen to me closely. Look at the passage. The passage itself gives us some very important hints. Very important hints. Look. First, it assumes considering what Paul said. Considering what Paul said. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, it means Timothy was supposed to try and make Paul's words say what Paul wanted him to say. He needed to know what Paul was trying to say. He needed to think on what Paul was saying. He needed to meditate on what Paul was saying. He needed to consider what Paul was saying. And as we talked in Sunday school this morning, we found, and it is very easy to bring your presuppositions, your theological truths. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a five-point hard and fast Calvinist, and I'm going to bring that five-point hard and fast Calvinist to every single verse that I read. And I'm going to impose these truths on every single verse. The tendency is for us to try to make Scripture say what we want it to say, to prove our points. But he doesn't say, consider what you want me to think it says, or consider what you want me to say. He says, consider what I say. Consider the context. Consider so Timothy could have he was supposed to avoid having preconceived notions and pre-understandings that he imposed on the, the, the message that he was saying. Timothy needed to consider what Paul was saying to him in the context of the letter as it was written. Obviously, this means what? For us that are Bible students, listen closely. It means we need to be diligent, don't we? It means we can't just jump to something. That's why I heard, I heard one uh, professor say, don't come up with your eschatology for a good 20 to 30 years. Why? Don't just be so dogmatic on it. Why? Because you need to study the Bible. See the big picture. Understand it all. Know what the contexts are. Get these things. Be slow and, and get it. Consider what's being said. Consider the context, the historical setting, the grammar, all these things. Second caveat, it doesn't mean that everyone since Timothy that considered the words of Paul got it right. Because the Lord was working in them. How many of you are like me? How many of you say, well, I know that the Lord has given me grace that I can obey. You say, yeah. And so, but why do I... Not always obey. Anybody? The same is true of illumination. <laughs> because me gets in the way. My preconceived notions and my flesh and my various things and my idea that I want to be right. And I've got it figured out. Gets down in my soul. And sometimes I read things with glasses on. I call them the me glasses. I wish I could get rid of those me glasses. How about you? Sadly, numerous factors play into misinterpretation. We can fail to understand completely the context that Paul is speaking about. We also are reading translations of what Paul said in another language. And I would love to say that I've got all those old languages mastered, but I don't. So I struggle. And we also have years of time that makes it harder to understand the original context, right? How long has it been since Paul wrote these things? Thousands of years. We also are much more blind to our presuppositions and our philosophies and our worldviews than we can even imagine. We have a tendency to make the Bible say what we want it to say. But there's good news. Here's the good news. We can still really get it. And we can understand what Paul says in his context. If we study, we humbly seek the Lord... We trust Him and He illumines with humility and hard work and discipline and dependence upon the Lord. He will give us help to understand the Scriptures. So, with study, meditation, dependence upon the Lord, I believe the Lord can help us to understand those three illustrations that we're going to get to. 
I, I know that's a little bit of a sidebar, but that's what his command was. And I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. I want you to put this deep in your head. Maybe we won't get it perfectly all the time. Listen to me, beloved. I want you to be good Bereans. Right? Am I inspired? Nope. Nope, I'm not. I'm a man. So am I going to miss passages or miss little nuances? Yes, I am. You have a responsibility, flock. Listen closely. To study, to examine the Scriptures and see. Consider these things, and then the Lord will illumine you too. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean if every Sunday you're sitting there going, yep, I got this wrong with it, this wrong with it, this wrong with it, this wrong with it, and this wrong with it. Yeah, this guy missed it on, you know, half of it, but everything else was okay. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. That's, uh, I, 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 uh, I think you've got to be careful. There's a balance between being a good Berean and being a what? A critic. Okay? I think there's a balance. Humility in both cases, right? We need to trust the Lord, humbly seek Him, and realize that we're all flawed men at best. But we want to spread the gospel, and we got this down. We got the word down. We know basically what He's saying. I want you to consider it yourselves, though. Listen closely. I want you to spend time in the Word yourself. Now, we've said this. I think if there was one thing that we've said from the beginning of our church, we've said we want this church to be Bible-reading church members. We want you to be people of the Word. We want you to study the Bible. Again, when he says this to Timothy, consider what I say. By implication, we should consider what he says too. We should meditate on these truths and apply them appropriately. So I'm excited about what's going to happen. I'm planning our overview, our reading Bible, our Bible reading time for next year. I'm planning this as a side note. I'm planning an overview of the entire Bible this year. And again, I'm going to have a five-day, one-chapter a a day reading plan. You say, well, how in the world are you going to do that? There's 1,186 verses in the Bible, and there's only 52 weeks with five days. That's 260 days. How are you going to do that? Well, yeah, that's the battle I'm having right now. I'm trying to give a chronology of the entire Bible. I'm trying to have you read scriptures all the way through the Bible to follow and trace through the whole narrative of the scriptures. But there'll be three levels. There'll be the level of, ooh, I can get by this. I got a chapter in today, which is important. Everybody should be on that level, bare minimum. And then there'll be the supplemental, I want to know more. I want to understand this a little better. And then there'll be the final one that says, yeah, I'm all in. I'm going to read the Bible this year, the whole Bible, which is possible. You can all do it because I want you to consider what he says. I want you to think on what he says. I'm shooting for this idea of the big picture. If there was one dream I have is to have a church of all the members reading through the Bible. And we're working towards this every year. Can you imagine what that would be like? Oh, that would be amazing. To have a church full of people that are reading through the Bible every year. And you, you come to Grace Bible, what chapter are you on? <laughs> That's what we need. We need to have the Word going into us all the time. Consuming it, considering it, meditating on it, being a real people of the Word. That's what we want to be, don't we? Y'all, I didn't get a lot of amens there. Y'all are scaring me here. I'm going to start becoming Southern Baptist on you and start calling out some amens. Do I hear an amen? Amen. I want some people of the word. How about you? Thank you. You can say it louder if you want. 
Folks, it's hard to understand books of the Bible if you don't know the Bible. If you don't know the settings. We're dropping down into worlds. You, you want all these verses. You want to flat, flip them out for you when you're in trouble. But you don't always know what the verses even mean. And the power behind the word is known in the word and what it means. Not in what you make it mean. So I'm hoping everybody's going to follow along this year. That was a big pitch, wasn't it? Long one. That was a hobby horse. Sorry, but it's an important one. Again, there will be three levels. And I'll be writing a devotion by the grace of God every day on the passages that I go through. So back to our passage. What was Paul telling Timothy in the previous illustration? Look back there real briefly. Oh, man. Time flies. There's something about being up here. Y'all are like, I'm ready for lunch. And I'm like, I'm just getting started. I wasn't even feeling that good. Could y'all tell I wasn't feeling good? And walk up here, and now I'm like, I want to just stay up here. Because as soon as I sit down, I know I'm going to feel bad again. This is great. I'm going to dive in. Just hang in there. I'm going to go five minutes long tonight, today. So back to our passage. Look at it real quick. What was Paul telling Timothy in these illustrations? Look at him. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier is active in active service and entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And then finally, the hardworking farmer ought to be first to receive his share of the crops. Let's look at these real briefly. I think you can get it, but... It's not very complicated. First, the Christian suffering minister, Timothy, is being compared to a good soldier, a praiseworthy soldier, a noble, excellent, blameless soldier. Then it appears Paul explains what makes the soldier a good soldier. While he's in active service, he doesn't entangle himself in the affairs of the everyday life. Put simple, he's focused. He's All-out focused, not distracted. He's focused on the mission. He's not distracted by the world or even the normal aspects of life while he's serving. That's what a good soldier is. That's what a praiseworthy soldier is. He's serving the one who enlisted him. He He understands or gets who is the authority. And he's completely committed wholeheartedly to that commander-in-chief. A good soldier is dedicated and focused wholeheartedly on his king. That applies directly, doesn't it, for a good minister of the gospel? And notice the good soldier is focused for a purpose. He has the purpose. It says it right in the verse. So that he may be may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. The good soldier is dedicated to bringing a smile to his commander's face. He wants to please his general or emperor in this case. So how does this apply to soldiers of Christ? It means we are sold out for Christ Jesus. We are wholeheartedly focused on Him. We are ready to do anything and everything He asks us to do, even suffer for His namesake if He should will it. A good soldier is willing to sacrifice himself for the King. A good soldier serves with a purpose. He wants to hear from his King, Well done, good and faithful servant. He wants to please Him. And that's what we want to do, don't we? Thank you. Yes. I'll have everybody screaming before the end of this thing. Now, I know this can be convicting again. We can all recognize the countless times that we haven't been perfect in serving our king. Everybody failed at that this week, didn't we? We weren't perfect. But, remember, it's not because... Of God, it's because of us. God's grace was abundant to be strong in the Lord. So turn to Him. 
<laughs> Again? Embrace Him, enjoy Him. Find your joy in Him and then serve Him wholeheartedly. Remember, it isn't the strength in yourself. It's the grace that comes from God. Second, as an athlete, Paul is known for using sports illustrations. He must have liked sports like me and Mark. Mark and I are constantly talking about football games and great things like that. Here we see he references the athletes compete for the prize. The characteristic that Paul focused on is the athlete is that he competes according to the rules. The Greek word for rules is related to laws. Laws. I believe Paul's point is the minister that knows the rules of ministry. He knows what's required of him as a minister, and he seeks to do what the master has told him to do. In light of this, this whole book that's filled with what? Rules. Laws. Commands. Imperatives. It makes sense, doesn't it? Compete according to what the gospel, what the word says. No, this doesn't mean you will have five satellite campuses if you, you, will, you will be successful. You'll have a Ferrari and a jet if you keep the rules. That's not what he's saying here. But we will receive the prize. Uh, listen, I, I know I'm going along. Just hang in there. This is good. I promise it's good. What is the prize of the minister that works really hard? You ready? More of Jesus. More of Jesus. More of him. I get to see his glory, know him more, enjoy him more. When I obey his rules, when I obey what he calls me to do with the ministry, I enjoy him and I prize him and I will enjoy him forever and ever into eternity. Whether the church is full or not, whether we have five campuses or none, if I'm faithful to what Scripture says and I follow what he says, then there is joy coming in the glory of the Lord. As a minister of the gospel who knows what God expects of him and seeks to obey what God requires of him, there will be a prize. If he doesn't obey the Lord, he has no hope of winning the prize of joy with Jesus now or forever. Friends, the enemy has duped many false teachers in this world. They think the magnitude or the size of their ministry is proof of their faithfulness to the Lord. And you know what that is? A lie. It does not. It does not determine whether you are faithful to the Lord by the number of people that go to your church. That does not tell it. That's a fact. Success is measured by the joy of the pastor's heart in the Lord as he seeks him. I find success in knowing Christ more. That's my joy. That's my success. That's why I'm continuing to go, because it might be harassing some of you now, but I'm enjoying him. What should get me up in the morning every day is knowing and enjoying Jesus more and more into eternity. And the, the principle applies to you. How many of your parents, just on a side note here, how many of your parents base your, whether you're a successful parent completely on how your, child, your children obey or don't obey? A lot of your parents in the room are saying, laughing. There's no way you can do that, right? Because I see so much failure, right? No. We take verses that show if you do this, your children will go this, and we automatically assume that that means that we were successful. Be careful, beloved. It's your delight in the Lord and your satisfaction with Him in what you do determines whether or not you are really 
successful. There are people that have been amazing parents that have had bad children. Bad parents that have amazing children. And vice versa. You know that, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart is more of Him. Knowing Him and enjoying Him. Finally, you have the hard worker. Look at it. It's beautiful. A hardworking farmer. In the description, the last example, we see the characteristic Paul is focused on. We're stopping here. Hear me out. Look, hardworking. This means hard, toil, strive, struggle, labor to exhaustion, weariness. This is farming work in that day. It can definitely be described this way. Hard work. This was an agrarian society, so this example would make perfect sense to Timothy. Farmers didn't ride around in powerful tractors or have amazing power tools that make for outside work much easier. They plowed the ground the hard way. The only thing that got it worse was the ox that ran in front of them. It was painful, hard work. Sun up to sundown, painful work. But a hardworking farmer, the good news was, if he worked hard, he was the first one to benefit from the work. He was the first one that got to eat from the crop. Man, you, how many of you can testify to this? When you work really, really, really hard for something, and you get that first bite or that first taste or that first produce of what you worked hard for, it's especially good, isn't it? This is what he's talking about. This applies perfectly to gospel ministry. It applies to everybody in this room too. Listen closely. As you work hard pursuing the Lord, pursuing to know what He says, pursuing the Word of God, pursuing the gospel, understanding what the gospel is all about so you can share it it with others. Who gets to delight first? You do. Guess who got the feast today? Well, I know you're saying you went 10, 15 minutes over. I got a feast too. Well, you got a feast, but I got a feast. Do you understand, beloved? Listen closely, and I'm almost done. I know I've said it too many times, but listen, listen. You just get gleanings. You just get little snippets of what I've studied all week. The stuff that I see in the glory of the Word of God makes me want to run up here. You know, calling in sick. How many of you have called in sick before? This would have been a day I could have called in sick. But there was nothing short of me right now needing to go and throw up that would have kept me from being here. It was so good last night that I know my house at times hears it when I cry out, Wow, God, you're good. This is amazing truth. I get to enjoy... The work of my labor. So I want to challenge you. Be a good minister of the gospel yourself. Don't depend on me to give you a sampling. Spend time in the word. Study it. I'll close with this illustration. A brother of mine who's in the room, so he will remain anonymous, wrote me a text last night, and said, what does this mean? A passage. Had two passages that were, they seem to be somewhat of in a conflict. I won't tell you what it is, because then it'll really give away who it is. And I looked at it and said, oh, that's a great question. And then said, I look forward to hearing what you come up with. Go for it like, no, I just wanted a short answer. 
before I go Google it. I said, I hate Google. No. Go study your word. You know those tensions, beloved? Those things when you're reading along, you don't know how it all fits together and how it's working and why is that like that? When you start digging in and you start looking, you start finding wow moments. You go, wow, God, you are glorious. If this is all the word of God you're getting, you're starving. Do you hear me? If this is it, my sermon, I gave you a whole full hour and 15 minutes today. You are starving if this is all you're getting. I see a mass amount of faithful men and ladies. Go study the word. And then go teach it to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. We love you. We thank you for your word. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.